Hi, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Okay, three, two, one. Okay, we're going. How are you doing today? <laughs> Good. This is so crazy. Just uh, starting a podcast in general is uh, uncomfortable to me, but I'm excited to do it. Uh, but yeah, just crazy yeah. topics. I totally understand. This is weird and new for us, but we're excited to do this. And we hope that this will be a big blessing to everybody who gets to listen to this. So with that being said, what's our motivation behind starting a podcast? Well, I'll be honest with you. The main thing that people have been asking me is, Garrett, uh, let's meet up, start a Bible study. Let's do this. Let's do that. I really want to hear your content. I hear what's going on with your youth group. I hear what you're doing uh, around the community. But I just don't have time for a Bible study. I was like... You know what, Michael? And Michael brought, I was like, we need to do something. He go, and Michael suggests, you suggest, Michael, a podcast. So people can listen whenever, anytime that they want, listen to what we have to say. Yeah, I think this is the most helpful format because, I mean, wherever you're going in your car, whatever, you can always turn this on, but you can't always show up to a Bible study on a whatever night and really sacrifice an hour or two. But you can listen to this throughout the day. And so that's what we want to do is that we want to bring you guys content while you're in the car, while you're in the shower, while you're everywhere, and have this be your number one go-to place for when you just want to hear something tasty. (laughs) Something tasty, that's right. So, yeah, and that's what we're going to cover all kinds of different topics, maybe controversial, some not, identity, whatever. We're going to go after it all. There's no limitations, and if you disagree with this, that's perfectly okay. Our theology is not 100% sound. No one is. We're always constantly learning about God, and He's constantly showing us different stuff. But that's why we have podcasts, and that's why we have different leaders in our community to see a perspective of God that we've never seen before. Exactly. So just a little bit about us to start off with. We are youth pastors, and we are youth pastors over the empire over at a local church. And so uh, we've been youth pastors about, what, two years now? And so uh, what, what was our goal in like starting the empire? We wanted, we wanted to, we saw a need uh, that our youth, that our church didn't have a youth group, and we're fired up, got back from ministry school, uh, started, helped start a college ministry uh, with my good friend, and saw that blew up, and he started his own church, which is thriving awesomely, but I was like, we need to teach this to the younger generation. Younger generation people don't really know who they are. They don't have good social skills that no boundaries, communication, or any life hacks. And that's yeah, what came to yeah, bow. That's true. So we took on that role and trying to give these teens what we could with what we had. So we've been uh, on the grind, studying, learning wherever we could. And one of the most impressive things that we've seen uh, the teens actually get a lot out of is communication and life skills. And you guys would be surprised to see how widely unused and uh, how uneducated a lot of teens are with that. And, you know, that's, that's not their fault. It's you don't know what you don't know. And so, like, what, what's one of the things that's really made an impact that you would say for our teens? Because I know communication has been a big one. So, like, what about communication that you think uh, they really hung on to? I'll be honest. I think the main thing was actually being able to communicate in such a way where they're actually understood, but they could also listen and they can uh, other people would feel heard and communicate what's going on in their hearts and their minds effectively. Yeah, exactly. And you wouldn't believe how many times that they've actually used that and they've stopped themselves and they said, 
Well, let me just pause for a moment. I need to really figure this out before I respond. And they take their time. They really take a deep breath. And then they lean into God. And then they say, what's the best way to actually put this out there? Because I don't want to lash out of my emotions like I used to. What, what do I do now? And so they've actually taken the time to step back and do that. And they've made impacts in all the relationships around them. It's, it's been wild for them. And we got to hear the testimonies of that and see what a difference that's really made. And so one of the things that we really uh, love to teach them was how to respond to their parents when they feel like, you know, when you're just a little kid, that's how you get treated by all the time. So how would you tell somebody that's listening to this, what's one way to talk to their parents if you feel like you're not taken serious by them? One thing is, honestly, first thing is, yes, treat, when you have a conversation with your parents, respect and honor to the fullest degree. But there has to be a time and place where you sit down with your parents and you look in dead in the eye and you communicate in a very firm and in a very firm manner. It's like, hey, this is what's going on in my heart. I feel like you don't see me. I feel like I'm not being heard. Uh, and I just want to communicate. This is what's going on in my feelings. I'm not saying you're a bad parent. I'm not saying uh, I'm a bad kid, but I want to articulate uh, my emotions and my mind to you in such a way that we can be on the same level. Mm-hmm. And I want you to see me and I want to be heard and I don't want me to be treated uh, like I've been treated because I don't feel seen. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, moving from being, you know, your mommy's little boy or your daddy's little girl, moving away from that and actually becoming, oh, I'm an adult now. We have to talk to each other like adults. Yeah. You don't get to talk to me like a kid who doesn't know what they're doing. Like, I'm a young adult, so you got to learn how to talk to me that way. And that's a challenge for both parents and uh, teens alike, is that most of the time they really don't know what to do with each other. A teenager's growing up, and then you're looking at them like, gosh, what do I do now that she's interested in boys, or she's wearing makeup, or, you know, he likes girls, and he wants to go off and do his own thing. He doesn't communicate that much anymore. What do I even do with that as a parent? And that could be a tough battle, and that usually leads to, tighter control, more strict boundaries. You don't get to do this. I'm still your parent. Don't matter what you say, what you do. And uh, that b- builds a lot of resentment up between kids and parents. Well, yeah, and I, I do. And I think that the parents don't realize if you build your kid's self-esteem so up and you teach them core values, they're not really going to want to look for the that thing that validates them because you already validate them. You already sewed into them and say, hey, you are loved. You are seen. You are valuable. I do take you out on dates. I do see you. And you build up their self-esteem so much where they don't get it from everybody else. You're going to see a huge impact in your children's lives. You, you know what I'm saying, Michael? Yeah. yeah have you ever true. seen that? Some of the best kids I've ever seen that have some of the highest self-esteem. Why? Because they're seen. They heard. They know who they are. And they don't react, but they respond to situations. Mm-hmm. And you only respond when you've been taught the right mm-hmm. methods. <clears throat> And that goes for anybody. Anybody really makes a difference when they feel like somebody's in their corner and not trying to beat them down all the time and make them submit or anything. And so, like, the language really has to change because words matter whether you know it or not. And so you can't use the same, I told you so, and you're going to do it because I said so. Like, you, you actually have to take a little step out and explain to them why things are the way that they are. Otherwise, you have this teenager who's a little impulsive, doesn't really know what's what, and you know, is uh, really growing up and maturing, going through puberty, and then they have all these thoughts in their head, all these different questions, and they're not getting answered. 
Mm. They, they feel like you're leaving them in the dark and it's just, I told you so all the time. Yeah, and that's the thing is, uh, since they don't know how to communicate their feelings, what they're doing is they're getting in trouble, they're doing all this mystery stuff. It's actually a cry for help because they're actually looking for validation. And so when you think you're giving them space and you're giving them freedom, oh, do whatever you want, it's also sending a message to them. It's like, hey, we don't spend enough time together when I've seen you. And then that kid starts to think, oh, I'm just the backbone. I'm not his priorities anymore. I'm just a burden to him. I just eat. You know, it's like, so when you actually invest in your kids, like you actually make an effort to get to know what they like to do, spend time with them, plan dates, whether it's a male or female, guy dates, girl dates, whatever, and really go after your teens in such a way where they feel seen and heard. Because what happens when you don't, they'll get validation from anything that comes along. Yeah. And another thing is forcing them to grow up too fast. Ooh. Like making them Hot make topic. tough choices when they're 14, 15 years old. What college are you going to go to? What's your career? What are you going to do in life? And all those things are good questions. Don't get me wrong. And they should be asked. But are you asking with the intention to build them up? Or are you asking them to get them out of your house when they turn 18? And that's another thing. It creates a culture of performance in such a way where... You have to have it all figured out before high school. And that actually leads for double-mindedness. And that also leads for people not even figuring out what they want to do. They just choose a career. And after they choose the career, they hate, they hate it. So what would I recommend for people to actually let their kids explore? I say let, them, let your kids do several different activities. Mm-hmm. I know a family that got their kids in every sport every creative arts thing to see uh, make their kids interact with everything and they learned out what they really like to do mm-hmm. one naturally their their parents pushed them in the arena made them grow by some of the different other places in high school and the time they got out of high school they know what area they wanted to pursue mm-hmm. and was it forced no they learned on their own mm-hmm. but it can't be forced it can't be pressured figure everything out right now that actually mm-hmm. creates a trauma response to make actu- uh, decisions that actually are very intelligent. Mm-hmm. And it's true. And I think I, I've seen this the worst, especially with uh, church leaders and their kids. Like, oh, you know, look at this little boy. He's going to be such a great preacher. This girl, she's going to lead worship and it's going to be great and all that stuff. And it's like, what, wait, when, when was the last time you actually talked to them about what they wanted to do? Mm. Because everybody has their own destiny within God. And so it's like, if you're assuming the will of God for somebody's life, even though you're saying you want what God wants, are you really wanting what God wants or are you wanting God to want what you want and make that into what God wants? Yeah, and, and, and that's hard. That is hard. That's a hard thing you have to look at and say, I'm not forcing my agenda onto my kids and I'm not trying to force my agenda and make it look like it's God's agenda when it might not be. Because mm-hmm. we, I mean, we all have a calling, we all have a destiny, we all have a purpose. And I think we... To make things less complicated and less pressure, our first purpose is having that deep, intimate relationship with God yeah. and, and, and flowing our, everything out of that of our identity. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then we won't have to worry about its performance, but our performance will be excellent unto the Lord, mm-hmm. not in who we are. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought that up because identity is a big factor into how your child's going to respond to this world because... It's crazy out there. I mean, we're not blind to the news. We're not blind to social media. And we know what kind of craziness and foolishness is going on out there. And, you know, as much as we'd like to assume that our kids know how to navigate that, 
Most of the time they don't. They need a strong identity foundation. And until they get that, they're going to be tossed around by life in the world until they're either beat into following the culture and doing what everybody else is doing, or they get bullied and they are harmed in other ways because they want to do what they want to do, but it's not popular. Yeah, and honestly, that's what I've been seeing. And most, honestly, this generation, the young generation, They've been taught Christian ease, but haven't been really taught the foundation. And when I talk to an average Christian that's in high school and they've been going to church a lot, they can't give me fundamental truths that help them in their walk. They don't even know what authority or what Jesus did to a certain degree, what authority, what power, their identity. When I ask them their identity, sometimes like, oh, my child of God. It's like, what does that even mean? They don't even know. It's like, or my identity is I'm a football star or I'm a cheerleader or I'm the, the best academic person in my class. And what happens when all that goes away, you're left mm-hmm. with, you know, nothing. And so uh, that's what I've been finding out is people learn how to play church but don't know how to have a deep, intimate relationship. And I blame it on our culture too. Do, you know, do everything right and you'll be glorified. And if you do secret stuff, don't let no one know about it. Mm-hmm. Don't, if, as long as no one knows about it, you don't shame our family. Everybody thinks we're good and you play the Christian part. You're good, but what? Definitely. That's why you have yeah. so many people in college. Oh, I'm Christian, but they live like the world. They live yeah. like the average person would. Mm-hmm. It's just for reputation's sake. Yeah, that's it. It, it. it doesn't really matter how close to God you are. It really doesn't matter if you know anything about being Christian or what the Bible says. As long as you have a validated reputation with being Christian, it looks good on a resume. I mean, heck, when I was in FCA in high school. There was a lot of people that were getting FCA awards that didn't show up to one FCA meeting. If you're unaware what FCA is, it's Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which is a Christian club in the high school. And so people were getting awards for it. That I had never seen in there, not one time. And so not to be mean about it, but I definitely knew some of the people's reputations that were getting awards. And I was like, there's no way that this person was Christian. There's yeah. no way that they ever showed up to any of this because if they did they sure as heck wouldn't be getting a ward that was for Christians. Yeah, and, and honestly, that all goes back to the one thing. You haven't had an encounter with God, and you haven't been taught to follow the roots of who you are as I did in Christ. And Michael, coming from a biblical standpoint, I know that you love to study long lectures and read different stuff. From a biblical plan, a standpoint, how's the best way to go about teaching people who they are and, and God and living out their identity without this world calling us religious or ultra-spiritual, but actually, how do we articulate in such a way as like, I'm a Christian, I have a relationship with God, and what does that look like? How do we get there? Well, I think, I think the first fundamental thing is like, okay, I can call myself a Christian, but what do Christians do exactly? And I think that's the thing that's been missing, is not only do we need kind of a knowledge-based understanding of what it is to walk out as a son or daughter of God, but we actually got to walk it out in a practical sense of, okay, what does Jesus say? Jesus says that we'll be persecuted in this life. Do you have to be persecuted to be a Christian? No, but if you're not standing up truthfully for your beliefs in a way that might get you persecuted, I don't think that you're really walking that out. Mm -hmm. If you're still struggling with insecurities of all that sort, I would argue that really you haven't made a genuine confession to God to be able to heal from those things. And I think that that's part of being a son or daughter. It's like you got to be truthful with the Lord. you got to be truthful with yourself. And you can't just lollygag your way through Christianity. Sure. It, has to, it has to start somewhere practically. 
Sure, but we think and talk about insecurities and stuff that we struggle with. So we've been in church our whole life and stuff, but what if we're passionate about the Lord, Michael, and we struggle with the insecurities? Does it make us less spiritual? Uh, I wouldn't say it makes you less spiritual. I think that if you're not actively going after being healed and you're not going after growth and you're not going after trying to learn from and go past your insecurities, that's when I would say I think that you're really being stagnant. Because, here, let me put it to you like this. I think that people who still want to stay in their struggles will say that, you know, this is the way that God created me. Or they'll just say that, you know, I'm taking it one day at a time, one step mm -hmm. at a time. I knew a guy that was like that. He was, uh, he, he was, um, <clears throat> had an addiction on the side and he was just telling me, well, just one day at a time, you know, and God's going to set me free just one day at a time, all that stuff. And I would say that I don't think that's a truthful confession there. I don't think he's actually trying to put himself out there in a position to be free. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Almost like an excuse kind of. Yeah, I think it would be more along the lines of that is like you're trying to excuse behavior and you're using your reputation to hide it. I think that now you're talking about it all comes down to the heart condition of what are you really serious about it? Because I can look back and when I'm really serious about my faith, I want to do anything that pleases the Father, not maybe at one point out of fear, but after I started to have a, a revelation or illumination, whatever you want to call it, of how good God is and how He's always there for me, and it took my perspective of changing, then did everything out of love. And I think my excuses stopped there. I stopped trying to make excuses, and I actually went after stuff. Is that kind of like you're talking about, like after going after that? or? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think when your excuses run out and then you actually start trying to go after it, I think that's when that happens. And that's when you can really start experiencing what it is to be a son or daughter. Of course, there's got to be all sorts of internal changes. Like perspectives have to shift. There has to be repentance where there needs to be. And you also got to understand is that you're loved. Uh, first and foremost, and that you are created for a time like this, and you are put on this earth for this time, this reason. As crazy as it is, you are made for this time to change something or someone at some point, whether it's one person or a thousand people, millions of people, or you're here to change one big system or one little system, or you're just here to help get the poor off the streets, whatever that may be. It's something along those lines. Well, that's the hardest part because people go through so much struggle, so much uh, things that they don't believe that they're worthy. They don't believe that God's a good father. They don't believe in a father. Their father views them. So how would we would even go about that to people that are so wounded they can't even see past their own darkness? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a big question. And I think that looks different for everybody depending on what sort of darkness that they found themselves in. Yeah, 100%. And so, I mean... I, for somebody that is abused, that has gone some in a place like that, I think it's important that you find the help that you need and certainly surround yourself with people to help you out of that. If you had a poor father figure like I have, then it's important that you do find somebody that can be a father figure because it's very important that you do have one. I mean, Jesus was about the father's business as in God's business, but he still had an earthly father that I'm sure he submitted his rule to because, I mean, Jesus never contradicted Scripture. So we do know that he honored his mother and father. He didn't exclude his father from being a part of his life yeah. in the way that, you know, I just need God and nobody else. No, he let his mom, he let his dad 
be a part of his life and discipline him in the way that he needed to. Yeah. And that's the thing that we have to get to is go after the help that we need. Yeah. And whether it's a counselor, a psychologist to help us dive into, to show us stuff that we don't realize, and then invite God and Holy Spirit in that situation to show us how can we release bitterness? How can we release unforgiveness? How can we change our perspective and our mind that's so ingrained as a childhood to actually see the things that are God's reality? Because God's reality trumps our reality. His reality is more real than our reality. Why? Because he put everything in the foundation. He spoke everything into existence. And so just because what we're seeing is not coming forth or what we're seeing might not be 100% reality, we have to do what it takes to get to his reality. And that's why I think identity is one of the most, if not the most important thing that Christian can get is learning who they are and who their father is, who their heavenly father, who Yahweh, who God himself is. Because without those two things, one of two things, you're going to constantly be striving for something that you can never achieve and you're going to be trying to be someone that you can never be or never even achieve. But if you learn who you are, there's no copycat. You're designed your specific design for this earth and no one else can be like you. If you actually know why God created you and the gifts, I don't think you want to be anybody else because no one can do the things that God has said you to perform.